Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Laura Putnam. She is a speaker, author, and CEO of Motion Infusion that focuses on workplace wellness and movement. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Amy, it's so great to be here. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about your journey, how you started Motion Infusion, how you became expert in this space and your journey around wellness? You know, I call myself a former gymnast, professional dancer, urban public high school teacher turned movement builder in the world of health and well-being. My starting motion infusion was really my best attempt to pull together a whole lot of different professional threads from my movement background to having lived and worked in West Africa. I worked on the U.S. Senate subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee to even spending a season skiing in Vail, Colorado, working in a children's hospital in Mexico City, all of these different pieces and putting it together into one, to motion infusion. And walking through that journey, what are you grateful for? Well, I would definitely say this journey has been a very personal one. And a lot of what inspired me to start motion infusion was the fact that I personally was trying to find more well-being, more motion in my own life. And seeing how much the society that we live in literally conspires against each of us becoming our best selves. We're born to move, but we're told to sit. We're born to eat whole foods, but it's a lot easier to get fast food. We're born to take breaks, but we're socialized to always be on. And so I really wanted to provide something that would really help me and help a lot of, a lot of others along the way. But along the, the way, I'm grateful that I'm doing something that is so personally meaningful to me and something that I think is really important in our world, especially now as we go through the pandemic and all that's come with it. And uh, along the way, the, the friends and family who've really helped me to become where I am now. I love that. How do we create well-being at work? I think that the biggest mistake is made is that organizations think and the leaders within these organizations think that as long as they have a wellness program, they're good. (laughs) And as it turns out, those programs are really only the start. And often what I see, in fact, is a mismatch between these well-intended wellness programs and the larger culture. So the first piece of advice that I always pass along is to think less about a program and to think more about starting a movement in which well-being really becomes a way of life as opposed to a standalone platform or a standalone program or a one-time event. And then another key piece of this is that leaders on all levels, particularly managers, need to recognize that it's not just about a handoff to HR, but it's really about the key role that they play in really transforming the workplace itself. And then for organizations to begin to be willing to do the work, asking really big questions like, are our people here, are they healthier, more able to become their best selves because of where they work or less so? And so again, that really becomes more about how are we doing business? Is it really helping to foster more well-being or is it inadvertently undermining it? How do you lead a team through well-being and why is that important? You know, managers are really those key players in all this. And so I often share with 
senior leaders that they're the the trendsetters. They're the ones who set the tone. They're the ones who allocate resources for these well-being initiatives. But when it comes to the day in and day out of well-being at work, that work really comes down to the manager. So every manager is uniquely positioned within the workplace to either be a multiplier of well-being, like really kind of creating an expansive effect of well-being for their team, or just the opposite, what I call a gatekeeper or getting in the way of their team members of engagement with their well-being. So they're really uniquely positioned as the key permission givers within the workplace around well-being. So the three key things that every manager needs to be thinking about is to do, speak, and create. So they need to start with themselves. I call this, I want to see my boss in spandex phenomenon. And, or maybe I don't want to see my boss in spandex, but just the idea that people really want to see their team leaders, not just talking about it, but really in there, starting with themselves, making the effort. It's not about being perfect. It's about making the effort and explicitly modeling that. Then the next piece around speak is to really start to engage in conversation with their team members around well-being and thinking less about another email blast coming out from HR about some upcoming well-being event, but instead having more conversation, day-to-day conversation with their team members around well-being, particularly mental health, which we know is the pandemic's second act. So for example, a study came out recently showing that while there's been tripling in the rates of depression across the United States because of the pandemic, Meanwhile, over half of employees are afraid to talk about their mental health with their manager. So that needs to change. And then the third piece is for every manager to start to think about creating team-based systems that really help to normalize well-being within the context of their team so that every employee or every team member within that team feel like that they are just a little bit more well because of the team that they're on. So they feel like that they are kind of in a little bubble or a little oasis of well-being. And truly that every manager has within their capacity to carve out that oasis of well-being for their team. Let's say high performing environments where a big four, a firm, something where you are working long hours, seven days a week, maybe. And there's a lot of pressure to not take breaks, to continue to work in, even pressure to not necessarily take a lunch, even though it's like your legal right, right? So how are some ways that you can do more, create more movement when you're working long hours and kind of deal with that pressure as well? One of the things that I always tell, particularly leaders and managers, I think this is so important for them to understand is that there is a difference between FaceTime and net productivity. And so it's really this idea of energy. Do I, as a team leader, have the energy that I need to be an effective leader? And do my team members have the energy that they need to be high performers? And so if every team leader wants their team to be a high performing team, then they have to begin to prioritize well-being because well-being really goes hand in hand with engagement and with performance. A lot of the discussion has been around this idea of sustainable engagement. It's not enough to be engaged in your work, but rather you need to have energy. So in order to have more well-being and more movement, the things that I talk about, one is movement to please not have a seat, to start to look for ways to just start to stand up a little bit more. The second is to remember that there is always time, especially if we think more about 
infused motion throughout the day, less about exercise per se, where I have to get on my gym clothes and go to the gym or go to a yoga class, but more about how can I even stand up for two minutes every hour? That's going to make a big difference in my overall performance. And that's not going to cut a lot of time out of my day. And then the third is to little by little, keep doing a little, a lot. So this is this idea of rather than waiting until we're exhausted, we're stressed out, we're burned out, that we think about proactively restoring along the way. And one of the best ways that we can restore ourselves along the way is to infuse a little bit more motion. So things like having standing meetings, things like having a walking meeting, that's actually going to enhance our overall performance, our capacity to come up with innovative ideas, make better decisions. When we are well, we perform better. With this great resignation, and everyone really valuing the work-life balance and kind of coming to a realization of what's valuable to them. And that's more and more important. What are some ways that leaders can start to improve their wellness programs? I think one of the things that leaders are having to tune into is the fact that the employees now are in the driver's seat. The employers are just struggling to keep people in their workforce. And so the reins have been handed over to the employees. Every employer needs to recognize that. And so this conversation really begins with tuning into what matters most to their workforce. And well-being, particularly mental health and emotional well-being, is at the top of the list. Employees are wanting more work-life balance. A lot of people are not wanting to return to the workplace. They're wanting more of a hybrid kind of environment because they're wanting to live in different places where there's better, better work-life balance, for example. They also need to be really uncovering the hidden factors, looking into the deeper reasons behind why people might not be well. And so, you know, for example, something like burnout, I think a lot of leaders and organizations, they want to point the fingers at the individual and say, you're just not doing enough yoga. You're not practicing enough mindfulness. You're not doing things enough as an individual. You're not taking enough personal responsibility for your overall well-being. When in fact, the research shows that things like burnout are most often about the workplace itself. So this is things like work overload. This is things like toxicity being tolerated in the workplace. This is things like perceptions of unfairness. And so while organizations want to kind of give an easy answer, provide an easy solution to really start to meet people where they're at right now, it's actually going to require a lot of hard work. So things like how can we make sure that people have more autonomy in the work that they do? How can we make sure that people aren't having to do the work of three? No yoga program is going to make up for that. As much as I love yoga and I'm a big <laughs> yoga practitioner, um, we have to understand that, that, that it's really a matter of really addressing the workplace itself. And, and what I see too often is a mismatch between these programs and the larger culture. And in fact, a lot of the companies that have the biggest bragging rights around wellness have some of the, the unhealthiest cultures. And so it's really about addressing the culture itself and the environment. So you're the author of Workplace Wellness That Works. Can you share a little bit about that book and how people can get a copy of it and how it helps leaders? So it's available in any of the, the major distribution channels. So Amazon, any of the major distribution channels. But really what Workplace Wellness That Works, I wrote that in response to, I started working on it in 2014. It came out in 2015. And at the time, there were a lot of articles that were coming out about 
workplace wellness not working. And so this was really a nod to that and saying, yeah, you're right. <laughs> In a lot of cases, workplace wellness is not working. I mean, if we consider, for example, that the largest study to date on the impact of workplace wellness shows that about 80% of eligible employees are simply opting out. So if you build it as in a wellness program, they, as in the people that you're trying to reach, the employees, they will not necessarily come. So there is a lot of room for improvement. So that's the main reason why I wrote this book, which is how can we take what's a really good idea, which is to leverage every workplace to promote better health and well-being. And again, now in the time of the pandemic, more important than ever, but how can we actually get it to work? So some key pieces to that, again, this idea, rather than thinking about starting a program, how might you start a movement, build a movement and make it last for every leader to really recognize the critical role that they play. So the manager alone, for example, likely accounts for up to 70% of the variance of their team members engagement, both with their work as well as their well-being. So helping managers as well as leaders to really understand the role that they play. And then to really think more strategically around better approaches to well-being. So for example, we've leaned too heavily into the biomedical model, which is let's diagnose everything that's wrong with people and then tell them all the things they're doing wrong. And then people are supposed to be inspired. Of course, it doesn't work that way. And so a better way is to help people to really start with their strengths help them to uncover what their well-being strengths are. That's more motivating. That's more engaging. How can we create more positivity around this? We know that when people feel positive emotions, they're more likely to be engaged. But then also things like how can we design nudges and cues where there are nudges as in environmental prompts, as well as cues or cultural prompts that really help to make well-being a way of life. So you just come to work, whether it's virtual or in person, and you are just going to be healthier because of it. You don't even have to think about it. That's really where well-being at work has a, a chance to succeed. So it's a lot like those blue zones where these parts of the world where people are much more likely to not only live, but thrive into their hundreds. It's not because they're that much more motivated than the rest of us. It's just because they happen to have been lucky enough to have been born into a blue zone. So we can kind of translate that same kind of idea to every workplace. Can you share some of your client success stories with us? So I've been really lucky to work with some amazing clients. One client that I loved working with is Schindler Elevator Corporation. And this was actually way back in 2012 is when I first started working with them. And I was brought in by one woman, Julie Shipley, who was with the organizational development team at the time. And she had this bright idea that of incorporating well-being into their annual leadership training program for their high potential managers. And so that was actually really the start of my work in engaging managers as these key players in well-being. And so this workshop uh, sparked a whole movement across the organization, sparked a number of other leadership trainings for different parts of the organization. This is now an embedded part of all of their leadership trainings going forward. And it really made a difference embedding well-being into a leadership training program as opposed to delivering it as a wellness program. That's really what made the difference. Another client that we've been working with over the course of, for the past five years is Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Dakota. We worked at, even more extensively during the pandemic 
and we launched our Managers on the Move program, a three-part series. And amazingly, even in the midst of the pandemic, as a result of this program, both the managers as well as their team members across the organization reported higher levels of well-being as a result of this program. So those are a couple of the organizations that really come to mind, but I've been lucky enough to get to work with organizations across all industries of all sizes, from school districts to government entities. I even worked with prison guards in a prison facility. I'm also working with technology companies, a lot of healthcare companies, health plans, financial services companies, all different kinds of services. And well-being is really fundamental to doing whatever an organization is doing better. What do you think has been your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? Definitely playfulness. Without a doubt. (laughs) What has gotten me through in the work that I do is the connections that I've made. For example, my best friend at work is this guy, Crockett Dale, who is the former CEO of HealthStat, an onsite clinic provider. We did a lot of work partnering with HealthStat around, again, engaging managers with the client organizations that they worked with. And in the process, Crockett and I became best friends at work and we continue to be really good friends. I've become very close with the team at Blue Cross, the wellness team at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Dakota. But it's really that foundation of playfulness that has really created those long lasting friendships. I love that. If there's someone that's listening that would love to work with you, what is the best way to contact you? The best way to contact me is to go to the Motion Infusion website, motioninfusion.com. I'm also active across most social media channels. So you can find me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, as well as Instagram. And then people can also reach out to me directly, laura at motioninfusion.com. Perfect. I'll put all those links down below. Laura, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your expertise around wellness. Thank you so much, Amy. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it has been wonderful. And if you're listening, you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit thrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a